It's good to see you here this morning. Glad you're with us. How great would it be if we had a rewind feature in life? Just, you know, you just said something or done something you regret and you could rewind it. That would be, that would be awesome. Just carry a little remote with you or an app. Uh, either way. But it would, it would be great. And we know that that's, that's not possible once you say the words and do whatever you do. It's like spilling water out of a bucket. You can't gather it back up again. But we're in a message series where we're looking at what it takes to start over because God graciously gives us what we need to start over and to make that possible. So we're, we're looking at that. Today we're looking at how to start over in your approach to work, uh, school, projects, maybe projects around the house, or ministry assignments. I've, I've approached my work in, in some ways at times that weren't the greatest, and I'd like to rewind, but I can't. But in the middle of that, I need, I need God's help to figure out how, how to take a new approach. How do I change this up? And take a better, a better, uh, angle at this, at this thing that I need to do. Often, I, I look at my to-do list. If I look at it too long, the dreads attack me. That's what I call them, the dreads. Uh, they can put me on edge when I dread something. I'm afraid I can't pull it off or I can't get it all done. I'm not quite sure how it's all going to come together. Whether you work in the office or at home or you're in school full time, whatever you're doing right now, the dreads can attack as things sneak up on you. Like the time I was in grad school and I had a janitorial service. I used to say I owned it, but it really owned me and it actually threw me all over the place. It just whooped me like nothing else. And God used that janitorial service to really teach me a lot about faith and, and things like that. But anyway, I, I had a service while I was in grad school. Two of my friends had a service. And one weekend, they were both going away. We used to cover each other, our jobs. And I realized, I think it was a Friday before the weekend, I started adding up all the work that I needed to do to do the, my jobs and their jobs. And I was going to go to work Sunday afternoon and finish Monday night. And I have to confess, Friday and Saturday were ruined because I began to dread doing all that work. I mean, hey, it's not the most glamorous work in the world, but you do it. You know, we were we we had it on our list. So the dreads attacked me that weekend and actually ruined my enjoyment for the rest of the time. And this is how it tends to go if we don't deal with the dreads and push through to do what's needed. So we're going to look at that. If we don't deal with it rightly, things can spin out of control, cause all kinds of damage, and really impact our self-image, our family relationships, and our friendships, and all the stewardships that God's given us, the things that he's given us to manage. And so we're going to dig into this this morning. To begin with, though, to help you gauge your level of current dread... Here are some warning signs you're burnt out at work. And you could apply this to whatever work or whatever project uh, that, that you do, I think. It's from Business Insider magazine. 
as I read through these, take account mentally of how many you can personally identify with. That might help you gauge your level of burnout or dread when it comes to work. Uh, first one, <clears throat> setting your alarm too early to use the snooze button. <laughs> I love to snooze personally. <laughs> I love that. But, you know, sometimes when you dread going to work, you set it early just so you can consciously drift off and know that you don't have to be there yet. I think that's what it's talking about. I personally love snooze. It's a, it's a dangerous thing. Second, being depleted after work, completely depleted. You're, you're just done. It took everything out of you just to get in the car and drive to work or to get there however you go, and you're worn out at, at the end. Third, inconsistent sleep patterns. You're just troubled at night because you know what's coming the next day. Four, feeling liberated <clears throat> after a Friday at work, just completely free, like the chains are gone. And you're just ready to go take the weekend off. Five, explaining your job with fine. Hey, how's your job going? Fine. That's it. That's a sign. That's a warning sign. Six, dreading every Monday. Seven, fantasizing about quitting. You've, you've run the scenarios. You figured out how you're going to do it and how you're going to make it happen. Eight, not wanting to explain your job to people. People ask you about your job. They're showing interest in you, and you just don't want to talk about it because you aren't real thrilled about it. Uh, number nine, disregarding how you treat coworkers and or customers. Number ten, constantly feeling overwhelmed with your work. Number eleven, rarely feeling like you're making progress. You're just spinning your wheels, treading water. Twelve, being cynical. Just this edge about it. Number 13, frequently losing your temper, blowing up. Number 14, over complaining. Number 15, noticing coworkers are hesitant around you because they're sort of walking on eggshells and they think, oh, they're going to blow at any moment. I got to be careful. These are symptoms really of burnout or having the dreads, as I've called it. Here's a definition of dread from Merriam-Webster. First, first definition, to fear greatly. In other words, I'm going into something, I have something that I have to do, something that I have to say, and as I, as I think about it, as I anticipate it, I'm afraid it's going to go bad and I'm going to lose and it's just going to all fall apart. Second, to feel extreme reluctance to meet or face. Something. I don't want to look at the problem because I'm afraid that I won't be able to solve it with my own effort and it's going to be a waste of time and it's going to confirm that I can't pull it off anyway. So we, we dread these things. This is where dread comes from. I can't imagine how much collective pressure, stress, even dread there is just in this room as I brought the subject up. If we had a dread meter in here, a dread meter, you know, I wonder where it would land. Would it be off the charts? Would it be somewhere toward the, the high side? Maybe in the middle? Where, where would it be? I'm sure some of us feel like we're constantly dropping the ball. And that creates a sense of dread as well. 
You know, we've got, we got work, we've got things going on there, we've got home, we've got, we're trying to handle all of the things that are going on in our life, and we, don't you love it when you're just shocked that you, when you find out you forgot something you needed to do? Oh, sorry, that was cynical in and of itself, wasn't it? That was, that was a sarcastic question. But we do, you know, all of a sudden you're trying to make it happen and you're trying to do all this stuff and you're like, oh no, I've got to get that done. I forgot that. And then, then it sort of unsettles you because you're overwhelmed. Some of us are overwhelmed with big projects, some with mundane duties of life. Uh, moms, dads, students, maybe this season is crunch time for you in your workplace or in school, and possibly your ministry load's heavy. You've, you've committed to do a lot of things, and you're likely to get the dreads. When I get the dreads, I'm sapped of energy, my anxiety stays high, I deal with supercharged emotions, and I get cranky. Frankly, irritable. This, this is, these are all signs of the dread. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at how God wants us to deal with the dreads. How does he want us to deal with dread? And how does he want to walk with us past the dreads that attack us as we approach our work and other responsibilities? So we're going to start with how to keep starting over in the face of dread from Nehemiah's example, he wrote a book in the Old Testament portion of the Bible, and we're going to look at his example. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament describe the return of the Israelites, the nation of Israel, from the land of Babylon uh, to Jerusalem. That's what they're about. The, The nation of Israel, God chose them, he set them apart from the other nations, actually The reason he did that was to show everybody else in the world who he was, what he was like, so the entire world would be motivated to follow him. This is what you pick up as you read the first portion of the Bible, is that God sets this nation apart, and he he says, if you will follow me, then I will work through you. If you follow my commands, you will be wise. And the rest of the world will look at the way you're living and they'll be drawn to live that way as well. And so he he does this. But Israel is unfaithful. They keep choosing to serve other gods. They keep choosing to walk away from God. They don't walk in his commands through a series of leaders. And finally, God exiles them from the land he gave them. They they get captured by Babylon, so they go into captivity in Babylon. Well, th- these two books, Ezra and Nehemiah, <clears throat> they're about uh, the return from captivity in Babylon that was really disciplined from God, a loving God for them. Upon returning to the homeland, uh, the people find out that there's, it's a mess. There's a tremendous amount of ruin in the home- homeland, and as you can imagine, a homecoming is exciting, but when you find out it's in ruin, the excitement gets dashed very quickly. So when they saw how much it had deteriorated, I'm imagining that they began to dread the rebuilding process at some point. You know, there's excitement, hey, home, 
this looks great. This is my old, and now I can go to my, I don't think they had restaurants then, but when I'm traveling, I'm coming back, I'm looking forward to the food I like to eat. They could, they could eat their own food. They weren't in Babylon any longer. So they, they were excited, but then they realized, oh, this is a massive undertaking here. The, the small numbers returning to the land were, were left hopeless. They were discouraged. And this is when God raised up an Israelite named Nehemiah. He lived in Persia, though, 700 miles away. So this is, this is the book he wrote that we're looking into today. He served as cupbearer to the powerful king of Persia. And cupbearers become very uh, close to the king. And so what happened in him rising to that position in Persia is something like happened with Moses and Joseph and Daniel. God strategically placed them in a position of influence despite the fact that they were an outsider. So this, this is what happened. Nehemiah ends up in just the spot that he needs to be in so God can do what God's about to do. When Nehemiah heard the reports about Jerusalem, he was extremely burdened over the deterioration that had occurred, the destruction that occurred while the Israelites were in captivity. And here's where he begins in verse 2 of his book. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant here in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So I'm sure when he got this report, Nehemiah was was overwhelmed with dread. As he heard the condition of the city, he he faced the reality of the situation And I'm sure that he was troubled greatly, and it says he was. But as he responds to the circumstance of this situation, we learn how to respond to dread. And so that's what we're going to look at here. He shows us how how to deal with the dread that attacks us, how to keep starting over in the face of the dread. The first thing he does is he asks God for help. In Nehemiah 1.4, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He had this tremendous weight on his shoulders, a great burden he realized he couldn't handle alone. And he turned to God. That's the first thing he did. After verse 4, in the next following paragraph or so, you find that he turns to God and he praises God for his greatness. And he asks him to hear him and and to help him. This is Nehemiah's reflex. This is what he does. And in doing this, he shows us how to face dread. Whenever we face something that burdens us and causes dread, we can run so many scenarios before we turn to God. Nehemiah's example shows us turn to God first. As we deal with things that are troubling us in his prayer, Nehemiah admitted his own contribution to the problem, his own sin. He took responsibility and he approached God out of humility and confessed his need for God's help and direction. He had a lot of questions. 
And I'm sure he wasn't completely confident about how he could help remedy the situation or what he could do from such a distance. He was uncertain, but he trusted God would lead him. And so he, he took action. After prayer and fasting, he decided to go to the king to ask him if he would be allowed to return to Jerusalem to survey what was going on. This is the action he took. This is a major risk. You're a servant in the palace. We don't get, we don't understand what a risk this was in our, in our world, but he's a servant of the king. To bring any matter before the king, if the king doesn't like it, you could be done. It could be over. But he decides this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the king and I'm going to ask him if I could make a request. And so he does that. And then you see in Verse 4 and 5 of chapter 2, Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Notice how he does that. As, as he's, he's, he's decided to ask God for help, then as he decides to take action, he's praying as he does. This is, this is something we can learn. He asked God for help in the moment, which is an expression of dependence of God. When you're about to have that conversation that you've been dreading, This is a good thing to do. When you're about to do that thing, you're not quite sure you can pull off. Pray to God. Ask God for help. Go to him. As you're doing the very difficult thing that you've dreaded to do, keep praying. Keep asking God for strength, asking him for help. As you handle the things that God's laid on your plate to handle, keep going to him. Then he goes on, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. So that's a bold request from a king of another country. He makes the request. He gets permission from the king to return. He takes the trip to Jerusalem to assess the mess. That's the next thing he does. He assesses what's going on. He needed to see for himself what work needed to be done, and he inspected all around the city. Nehemiah 2.11 says, So I went to Jerusalem, and I was there for three days. 15 says, Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate, and so returned. So I walked all around Jerusalem. I saw what was going on. And here's another thing he shows us to do. He faced the problem. He faced reality. He looked into it. Sometimes we want to avoid it. But he he puts his shoulder into it. He's leaning into the problem to figure out exactly what's going on. That's what I mean by assess the mess. If we avoid dealing with whatever it is we're dreading, and we know it's the right thing to do, but we dread it, we know we've got to do it, it's our responsibility, it's on our plate, it's something that we need to get done. If we avoid that, we lose a tremendous amount of self-respect. And those around us that we're connected to, who know we need to do it, their respect for us starts taking a dive as well because we're not doing what it is we know we need to do. 
But Nehemiah shows us, put your shoulder into it. Don't avoid it. Face the reality. When I'm faced with stress and difficulty in my work or other responsibilities, I I don't always want to look at the problem. I don't always want to assess the mess. I don't want to know what's really going on. If I ignore them, you know, maybe they'll dissipate or somebody else will take care of it. Out of sight, out of mind. That would be fantastic. But if we don't address the needs and problems, we can't take care of the responsibilities, our part of the problem, our part of the solution. We can't address them in the right way and in the right order. Something real never disappears like a mirage. It just doesn't ever do that. If it's real and it's there, it is not going to dissipate like a mirage. It's going to stay there. We need to put our shoulder into it to deal with it. That's what Nehemiah shows us. After he assessed the situation, he made his next move. He got started. (laughs) He did something. To begin again, you have to begin again. (laughs) You do. That's what he does. He gets started. Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18. Then I said to them, he's talking to the people who are left in Jerusalem. You see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. They were a laughing stock because of the state of their city. And he wants to motivate them by, hey, come on, let's have some self-respect and get moving here. Let's do this. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. In other words, he shared with them what God had done to allow him to come. The king of Persia not only sent him, but gave him help to get there and resources and was willing to help with the rebuilding. So he's sharing this. Hey, look, God's in this. Some things are happening. Stuff's stirring. Let's do this. Let's get moving. So I told them of of what God had done and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Interesting, isn't it? So they strengthened their hands. This is what we need to do. When we're dreading something, we need strong hands. We need we need to muster up the strength from somewhere to do what it is that lies before us. To begin again in our responsibilities, we, we must trust, trust God and to get moving. Not just trust God, hey God, poof, if you could put it together, that'd be awesome. If you could just bring the family conflict that's going on, you know, I'm dreading dealing with it. But if you could just fix it, that'd be awesome. Well, God doesn't work that way. He, he, he actually grows us as we work through the conflict. You know, that project's got all kinds of snarls and messy things going on in it. God, if you could just put that back together, that'd be fantastic. But that's not what he does. Typically, he works through our effort. He works with us. He gives us the strength we need. He helps us with doing what it is we need to do. But he's laid the responsibility on our plate. We strengthen our hands with his help. And we get moving. We do something. It can be a long process to start over, to undo the mess we've caused, but we have to get started 
and do the things that are needed to do to get things right. There's no sense beating ourselves up, which is what we tend to do. We waste time doing that. And, and by the grace of God, we don't have to. Jesus has taken all the punishment on himself for our sin. So our part in moving forward is to recognize it, admit it to God. God, I've blown it here, which is what Nehemiah did at the very beginning of the, of the, the book that he wrote. He tells us, he, I confess my part of this problem. You know, I was wrong. I was wayward. I walked away from God. I, I wasn't obedient. I haven't been perfect. I've sinned before my God. And the moment we admit it, we can move on. And that's, that's what we need to do. So we quit beating ourselves up and get moving. As we set out to do God's will, the next thing is we strengthen our hands. Our hands get strengthened in several ways by God as we go to him in prayer and dig into his word and ask for his help. There's this fortifying that he gives as we just pray, as we go to him and trust him with things. As, as we get into his, the word and we learn about him and his ways and he, he strengthens us in that. Friends who encourage us by their words and example and help strengthen us. They strengthen our hands. But you know what? If we're not intentionally getting with people who encourage us in the right things, we won't get strengthened in the right things. We, we have to keep choosing that. That's what church community is designed for. Community is designed to motive, motivate us toward the right things. That's what Hebrews says. Uh, we're to stir up one another to love and good works. We're, that's, we're, we're to get, get each other moving. And that's one of the things that happens as we put ourselves in a community, as we relate to a group of folks who are moving toward the right things, our hands get strengthened to do the right things. And then finally, a way we strengthen our hands is to do something, to take action. Because as we take the first step, God strengthens us to do what it is we set out to do. Not, not generally sitting on the couch. I've experienced God's strength as I've stepped out to do what he's set on my heart to do. Not as I have laid there going, oh, I don't want to do that. God, no, please don't make me do that as I wallow on the floor or on the couch. Depends on how bad it is. If it's really bad, you're on the floor. If it's okay, you know, you're on the couch. But wherever it is, it's not, it's as I set out to do what God's laid on my heart to do that I'm strengthened. I'd like to share a testimony with you, a video testimony that I did with Joel Berry. And he is, uh, I'm going to tell you who he is on the video uh, testimony, but he's going to share with us how God has helped him push through and go beyond the dread and, and how he's worked with him as he's walked through a project. He's been uh, trying to build a film company and uh, make a dent in Hollywood for several years. So he's going to share some things with us about his latest project. Hello, we're here at my office with Joel Berry. And Joel is a longtime member of Church in the Valley. He's a host on Sunday mornings. 
sometimes, so you may recognize him. Uh, Joel's an actor in independent films and commercials. He also has a production company that is named Sweet Tea Films. Really good name. Uh, makes me thirsty. But also, he uh, does video in, in the Sweet Tea Films. They do video for companies and other creative efforts. And, and right now, I know your latest project, Joel, is a short film called Worth the Wait that you intend to enter into some festivals. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yeah, we just finished it, and festivals are a good way to kind of jump to the next step in your career. So Great, we- great. So this is an important project. It's something you just launched out to do. Mm-hmm. And I know there's several steps along the way to creating a film like that. Mm-hmm. What What's involved in doing a short film like Worth, Worth the Wait? Well, it's uh, it starts with an idea, then you you write the script, and then get feedback on the script, and then then I, the second thing I did was start reaching out to actors. So a couple actors that I really respected and, and that I thought would be perfect, I thought I might as well ask them first, and they said yes. Then you get into funding, getting the budget together, and your crew together, and your locations together, and then your equipment together, and you go shoot a movie. Yeah. And food, people eat. Food, yes. That makes good. That, that helps. Good idea. Yeah. Did you have sweet tea, by We did. We did. Okay, good. Yes. Just checking. Yeah. Um, what about doing this project? This, this can be a very important thing and in entering it into a festival and getting some attention that way. Mm-hmm. Um, what about this project created dread or fear in you? Well, there's a, a several probably moments of dread. One is just um, failing to write a good story or failing to. Um, produce it correctly and then failing to raise the budget and get money together to help doing it so all of the, and even now as we get into post production you can really mess up a film editing it incorrectly so <laughs> kind of every season of the film there's an opportunity to to dread yeah i i would imagine uh, was there anything about working in the present on this film was there anything about the past that sort of ramped up the fear and dread, the things that you weren't looking forward to. Yeah, well, I've I've worked on productions before, and it's kind of like, I guess a lot of things in life, what can go wrong will go wrong. So you just start thinking, oh, this could happen or that could happen. And some of those things happened, you know, where you just hit technical snags or just personnel snags. If, uh, we had a couple of guys that had family emergencies, and you can't plan for those, and you don't expect them to yeah. stick around a movie set when they have to handle things that are more important. So uh, you you definitely start thinking, okay, all of these things could happen. But also, going through those things in the past, you see that there's ways around them, too. Right, right. That's good. So how how did God walk with you through this time to help you have what you needed to accomplish this goal? Mm -hmm. What were some things that he provided, and how did he work? Uh, One of the main things was friends and family uh, and people, other believers in church that were praying. Um, one one morning, something came up, another snag in pre-production, and I was getting really anxious about it. I'm like, oh, and the Lord reminded me when I was praying, one is that look at all the pieces I've brought already in place for this film. And the two reminded me to check my app on my phone called PrayBuzz, which it, it, it shows me how many people had been praying for my film. It was over 120-something. And he reminded me, other people are bringing this project to my attention and mm-hmm. praying for this. And you've got to trust that I'm going to work through this. And just seeing the amount of people that were joining me in prayer was encouraging. And yeah. then later that day, what I was worried about um, was taken care of. So Right. That's great. That was good, well, too. Yes. That's good. good reminder that God gives us what we need in the moment. Right. Not ahead of time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we got what we needed. That's right. Well, thanks for 
sharing with us, Joel. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate it. May God bless your efforts as you continue to work on the film with the the editing and all that goes into that. All Thanks. Right. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, Joel shows us how God strengthened his hands. He was praying, getting into scripture in the morning. God, God sort of brought some things to mind. Then he, he realized friends were praying with him. So I don't know what projects you're working on. I don't know what the source of dread is for you. But we need to keep pushing through the challenges by relying on God. And that's what Joel was talking about. That's what Nehemiah shows us again and again to do here. He faced opposition on every side. Uh, if you look at Nehemiah 4, 10, and 11, many were discouraged inside Jerusalem. In Judah, it was said, this is the rumor that was going around. The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we are not going to be able to rebuild the wall. We're just not going to be able to pull it off. So, the, the morale inside Jerusalem is not good. On the outside, look at verse 11. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and will kill them and stop the work. So their enemies are planning a sneak attack. Hey, we're going to surprise them. We're going to take them out. And so they're, they're becoming aware that not only inside, outside are the, 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 the challenges. And I'm sure Nehemiah himself is dealing with his own stuff inside. And we, this is what we do as we're dealing with projects and we look at what needs to be done. Sometimes the opposition's from others. Sometimes it's inside among our friends and our group or whatever. But sometimes it's just our own thoughts and our own dread that's eating us up. And we need to deal with it rightly. Whatever the case, Nehemiah shows us the right perspective. Look at what he says in verse 14. Of chapter 4, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. What a, what a great reminder. Do not be afraid. Do not, do not fear. Do not dread. Sometimes what we need to tell ourselves stop it. <laughs> Just stop. Redirect our thoughts. Find the help we need to redirect our thoughts. That's a process sometimes. But do not be afraid. Remember the Lord, what he has done. Nehemiah keeps reminding them of what God's done. And then fight. It is going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle from our enemies outside, from the group inside, from inside of us. We're going to have to fight to move forward. And so do it. Do what you need to do to rebuild and take care of the things that have unraveled. If we rely on God, he leads us beyond the dread. This is what you see. There are two basic kinds of dread. We looked at them in Webster's definition. First of all, a striking fear that I'm going into something, into a fight that I can't win. It's not going to turn out well. So I dread that. I'm afraid of that. The second kind of dread is... It's a, it's a fear that I'm going to spend my life on the meaningless or I'm going to waste my time because this is an unsolvable problem. So why even bother? God helps us deal with these two sources of dread in the same way. Look at what he says to Joshua. And he, he says, Joshua, you need to hand this on to the people of Israel. 
Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. That word literally means do not be in awe of the enemies around you. Do not be in dread of them. And do not be dismayed. Don't get discouraged. Don't get disheartened. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now this group, they had chickened out on going into the promised land. And they had, they had, they had sent 12 spies over to the promised land. They had seen what was going on there. Giants were there. It was an awesome place. It looked like a great place to live. But the people they were going to have to overtake in order to claim the promised land were scary. <laughs> so they had chickened out. And this, these were the, the sons of that group who chickened out. And as the sons of that group were anticipating what they were about to do, I'm sure they were getting a bit amped and a little bit, whoa, this is going to be, this is going to be a fight here. And they feared for their lives, I'm sure. And then they were going to have to do the mundane work of cleaning up after the battles, tearing down the altars and setting up the camp over and over and over again. That's why I like hotels. I mean, you know, that's mundane. Setting up camp, tearing it down, moving it. Not only that, but they had a tabernacle. They were moving from place to place, which was the, the place where they worshipped God. They set this massive structure up, tore it down every time they had to go anywhere. So they're, they're dreading all this. But here's how God helps them, and here's how God will help you. He walks with you into every circumstance that you're facing. You and I need to just recognize his presence and ask him for help and then learn his ways and begin to walk in those ways because he promises to make it good for us. He doesn't promise to have it turn out the way we'd prefer, but he promises to make the fight good for us. He promises to grow us up as we're handling our responsibilities, as we're dealing with our family relationships, as we're relating to our friends, as we're doing the work that God has given us to do, he promises to make it good. If we set ourselves to be faithful in our work every day and push through the discouragement to work with diligence, God will bless. He wants to lead you and I beyond the, the dread. Will you draw close to him and follow as he leads you through it. Would you pull out your connection card uh, that's in your program? And you may have something on there to complete that you weren't able to complete when it was mentioned earlier. And I'd like to ask our worship team also if they'd come back up to prepare to continue leading us in worship. But if you'd take some time to finish completing any information or next steps that you'd like to uh, complete on that connection card, that'd be great. And then when the offering ushers come around, you can drop that card in the offering basket. Here's some next steps. My next step today is to read through the book of Nehemiah to get more guidance from his example. Maybe as I've talked about him, you've been intrigued and you want to dig in some more. It's a great book to read about approaching work and projects and handling things and challenges to that. And then another step would be, as I face dread, I need to, you could circle one, ask God for help, 
Maybe you've been running the scenarios and haven't asked him. I need to assess the mess. I need to face reality. I need to look at exactly what's going on so I can get my hands around, my mind around what needs to be done. And then a third possibility is get started. I need to just move out and trust God to help me with this. Those are some steps we could take. You may have, those are my suggestions. You may have some other ideas that God brought to your mind. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word that guides. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the strength that you give to us as we trust you. And I pray that, God, you'd help us. That you'd help us deal with the dread in our lives, the fear. That you'd give us victory. That we'd continually rely on you to push through the challenge that that we face. I ask for this help in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.